team, welcome to episode 85 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. This is part three of our Q&A series, so be sure to listen to part one and two in episodes 83 and 84. As we mentioned initially, the NDP team hosted the first ever practice ownership program at the Henman Dental Meeting in Atlanta. We filled the room with dental students, residents, associates, and current practice owners for a full day of educational and networking sessions, and they had a lot of great questions. We've filled two episodes thus far with our Q&A and our answers, and so if you haven't listened to those, go back and listen to those. And we are going to go ahead and jump right in to this episode now. So, of course, we're talking to students and residents, and so therefore the questions we get, even though we answer all these questions in lecture, we still get questions about student loan debt. So, two questions. Regarding student loans, what is the best approach in paying back loans while looking at associateships or partnerships? And if buying into a practice and taking a loan for it, what is the best way to pay off both of those loans and does one matter more? Okay, so we can kind of like just talk generally about student loans. Go ahead, give me your student loan spiel. Yeah. Well, first of all, you asked me like seven questions there, and you know my... Just gotta listen. Oh my gosh. I am just, you know, I handle only one at a time, Christy. Can I just say one thing I didn't say on about him and is mark your calendars for March 23rd, which is uh, 2024, and that will be our second year of this because it went so well that we're going to redo this. So if you're a student finding this valuable, seeing your doctor finding this valuable, and you want to meet up and match with all these great private practice owners or private practice soon-to-be owners, mark your calendar. We are going to do a repeat sister. We do. Okay. Student loans. Yes. So yeah, that's a Best short... approach for paying them back while looking at associateships or partnerships. Yeah. So you keep in mind, the first thing you got to do is you just need to save between 6 to 7% of cash. So if you have no cash, then I don't need you to pay student loans. I need you to save some cash. So the general rule here is that if you're going to borrow $1 million, uh, you will need about 7% or about $70,000 of cash. Uh, that's the only way the bank is going to lend you the money to buy the practice. So if you have student loan debt, 200, 300, $500,000, the bank is going to look at this. It is an issue, but it's not a hurdle for them. It's a hurdle for them if you don't have cash. So first rule of thumb, get out of school, get crazy clinical busy experience, save the cash, and then start to manage your student loan debt. In this example, I'm just traditionally paying back minimal payments. The worst case is you have 100, 150, $200,000 of liquidity, and the student loan debt is still on your nerves. I will tell you that once you've got all that cash, you do go buy a business, that cash is now going to be much more advantageous to you. You might be able to purchase the real estate versus a lease. From a financial planning standpoint, it is just a game changer to build this cash up and buy the practice. We will eventually pay back those student loans, but it is going to be further down the road once we make a lot of money as a owner. So short answer, minimal payments is all I'm looking for. Shorter answer, buy a practice. Buy the practice with all the cash flow that you Buy save. Buy the practice. <laughs> and then the best way to pay off both loans, so you're going to have student loans and then you have a bank loan. That's where kind of strategizing about what your other life looks like, right? And how you pay those off, what your interest rates are on those. 
there is some deductibility for some on kind of interest. And so for the practice loan, what's the term? What's the cash flow? Like all of these are, I understand that there are some people who, if the debt is there, all they can focus on is paying it off. But there are a lot of other things once you become an owner and a lot of, and a lot of other opportunities where maybe it makes sense to keep certain debt and pay off certain debt based on interest and timing and cash flows. And that's where a Kane Waters team comes into play of figuring out like, what are your goals and how do we meet those? And what's the strategy in paying off those debts? I helped a client sell their business and I met with her after. And it was so funny because she was a like, oh my gosh, I've got to pay off the debt, got to pay off the debt, got to pay off the debt. And her planner, she was, she told me the story. I didn't know this at the time I helped her, but after she sold, she was basically like, I've literally been asking my planner to pay off this debt. And they keep telling me, no, 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 no. She was like, and I got the check for selling the practice. And I said, can I pay off the student debt? And the planner was like, yes. And she was like, and so I pushed pay, you know, on the Sally Mae, whatever the, you know, Navient suit style or whatever it is. And uh, she was like, it was so amazing. She's like, but it was just one of those things where like, it just didn't make sense, even though my internal gut told me to. So I tell you that to say that like, it is a natural reaction to want to do that, but be educated about why you're doing it and what you're doing and the timing of when you're doing it. Yeah. Business debt is good. Student loan debt is bad. Your home debt is good. Your real estate is good. These are all interest uh, that we can deduct. Paying off your business loan too quick actually creates uh, what's called phantom income. It just means that you think that you're going to pay tax on 200000 but you're actually going to pay tax on 250000 And because you electively chose to pay down more money on the debt, that is not how the IRS looks at taxable income. So as a young person, let's don't get you know in the weeds here, but uh, you're going to manage these debts and have a financial advisor and a CPA that can help you do this that doesn't have tremendous consequences. That is going to be the order. This, you know, this question, like some form of um, DSO or private equity was going to find its way okay. into oh, our yeah, world. Yeah. You know um, it. Because it's Surprise, just... We had, this is episode three. I know. And just getting there. It's everywhere. The question is, how do you work to ensure your employer doesn't sell out to private equity while you're an associate? Well, it's, man, have I seen associates get burned on this? And there's just really no way to like protect yourself. You know, you certainly want to make sure any associate agreement, maybe if there was a non-compete, you may have a clause that says if the owner were to sell this practice to anyone else, that my non-compete would be null and void. You want to be pushing the practice at all times, the relationship with them. As I said earlier, you're meeting with them every month, every two months, six months, whatever it is to push that they have a transition plan. If this thing is not progressing on a monthly, quarterly basis, it's leading towards the ownership it's a red flag and you have to be able to call that doctor out and what are we doing and being willing to walk away from it and maybe threaten a little bit that, hey, I just want to work, you know, that's going to lead something to an ownership. But man, oh man, I, I, not a dozen times, but 30, 40 times I've heard the story of the practice just sold out from the associate. It's uh it sucks. I mean, yeah. It's just... And I think you have to know what you want too, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if you're joining a multi-partner, $4 million practice that with the great profitability, like it's a risk. you probably aren't going to be able to 100% own that. Yep. Do you know what I mean? And, and talk to a, two doctors who own a very large practice and they're both the same age. 
and they have an associate. That associate is, cannot replace either of them, let alone both of them. They have the same exit time frame, and they want to be able to offer ownership, but at the same time, they also don't want to be stuck having to help find the three or four other partners that it would take to kind of replace their production at this point too, right? So I also think it's understanding as if you're an associate joining a practice, if you're joining a larger practice that has multiple locations or it's ortho, like you kind of have to also know this is a risk for me and having those open conversations of saying like, Hey, is this something that's in your future? And if it's okay, like it's your business, like good for you. But like, I just want to understand that. And also kind of knowing what you're getting into. You're working, starting to develop relationship with a small, you know, million dollar practice. The chances of it going for, you know, DSO are probably a lot less. So it's also just understanding generally what that market is your area, how concentrated it is, what that means for you. You know, not all DSOs are the slap a label on the front of it and you're working for 10 cents on the dollar. There are other options out there. So I think it's just being educated. Christy, it sounds like a great podcast episode would be what types of practices would actually qualify to be a private equity sale? That's a splendid idea. That, I wish Joe oh was here to take a note. Yes, yes. Let's just somehow incorporate a full <laughs> episode just on that. Shifting gears a bit, what are your favorite books or resources to learn about business, finance, practice, and transition? I don't know. I can't think of any right now. Can you think of any? Yeah, us. Okay, the yes. End. That, <laughs> no. Us. Clearly, if you if you're just listening, I don't know what's wrong with you, but us, Kane Waters has an incredible podcast, Accumulating Wealth, to learn about just kind of the actual act of ownership, and they have a ton of topics and a ton of seasons for you to listen to. There's clearly almost too much information about right. like the clinical side and like how to run a business, and there's a lot of thoughts and theories. I tend to lean more towards things that I can control. So like books on leadership, books on like understanding people, books on different personality types. To me, in this world, both mine and yours, if you're a dentist, like I think understanding people, understanding yourself, understanding how to communicate is almost more important than like whatever process or theory some business person's putting out there. So I think clearly educating yourself is important, but also like understanding like what you're reading and how to implement the things and if it's a fit for you or not, like you can kind of inundate yourself with like too much in this world, I think. So, okay. What mistakes, this is a weird question and I started and I'm not sure why, but I'm going to go ahead and read it because I've started. What mistakes did you make or things you wish you knew as like a younger person kind of coming up from an ownership perspective, like in the professional world. Are we asking me like what I would do differently? I mean, yeah. Or you could maybe you could identify some things that maybe you've seen kind of younger students kind of mistakes they've made. If I'm putting my dental hat on and basically having consulted thousands of them, I think that six to 10 year associate could preach to the 26 year old is kind of what we constantly just say is, you know, you're ready to do this. I can't tell you the number of times I've given the kind of wise speech at a major state meeting and someone just stopped me and say, you know, what you said to me was impactful and it got me to own. I just happened literally at the Hinman. A guy just randomly stopped me in the hall and we talked for 20 minutes. It was just an amazing conversation. So I, I think that always being ready to own and just know that you can do it and I would just literally set a two-year goal for yourself. That is something that you can do. Time you get out of dental school, if that's one year of residency or if that's, you know, X years that you're in a a specialty, as soon as you come out of that specialty, maybe one more year. And then I think after that, my question is, why aren't we owning? Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think oftentimes we talk to people who have hung around too long 
they've, you know, part two, we talked about some red flags. They've like had the red flags. The writing's been on the wall. They haven't listened to their gut. They've just stuck around and nothing's changed. And then they look back and they're like five to seven years in and they're like, why did I not talk about this or think about this or get the motivation to do this earlier? And so I think they feel regret about that. And again, you can't change the past, but I think if like, I appreciate and respect the message that you give out to these students that we kind of share via this podcast, which is like the message you are getting is you cannot do this. And if that's all you hear, then that's right. what you do, right? Like, right. but I think just inundating yourself with this message, which is I can do this, and this is how I'm going to do this, and this is why I'm going to do this. Finding mentors that like did this is it's so incredibly important, and that's really in your control very early on. I mean, as humans, we're constantly learning. I mean, I look back at my own personal life, and sure, I could have maybe gone down different roads. All of it's just you're just constantly learning. You know, you constantly you know, pick something up from this employer, pick something up from this relationship, pick something up, you know, from this coworker. And so we're, we're always just this learning type environment. It's just a matter of, you know, for you, the clinician that happens to go down this one road, it's not like I'm going to go to business school. There's like a million different opportunities that are presented you know, to somebody who just graduates from business school. You have become a dentist. You are going to be either dentist associate or dentist owner. And like you said, there's so much negativity that is in this space of why you can't do it. And I had a presenter here at our firm. And uh, was just standing up boldly saying that, you know, it's 30% of the business right now is owned by private equity and it'll be 60%, you know, here in the next couple of years. And it's like, no, I disagree with that 100%. I've got 2,900 dental clients and there's not 30% have sold. It's just not the number. And so I just don't want our listeners to have this fear that this industry is going away. This industry is going to thrive as long as you can do something about it, which is, you know, share the reasons of private practice, you know, dentistry and uh, surround yourself with good people and, and be able to, to be competitive against uh, what, what's out there. I'm going to ask a question that I'll answer on my own. I love But it. I would like your... Uh, <laughs> you would like me to sit here and be quiet. Okay. I would like you to sit there and be quiet. No, I would actually like your perspective. So I think we asked this question on the panel. We had a lot of young, strong, female dental students, residents, non-owners in the audience at our Hinman session. And one of the main questions we got, or a lot of them kind of surrounded this idea of like, what is your advice for women who want to raise a family and own a business? We had a panel and there were three men on the panel. And I asked this question of the men because I do think that like, at least in kind of the generation that we're in, I see men as often as I see women wanting to play a bigger role in their family life and be there for soccer games. And we had, you know, Dr. Brock Pumphrey was there and he said, you know, I coach, he coached way more than I felt like there were hours in the day. I'm like, not really sure how his energy to do that. His practice closed at three o'clock. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so when I think about this, right, like as a woman who is raising a family and does own a business, right, I think that the ownership piece, while it adds stress and causes more work in some ways, allows me to have the flexibility to raise the family and do what I want, right? Like when people say work-life balance, it makes me laugh because I'd probably have less balance in this job than I've ever had in anything I've ever done, but I get to do these awesome things. Do you know what I mean? Like I talked to my mom and my mom was a single mom and she worked like 6.30 to 4. My grandma picked me up, all these things, and she'll, she'll call me and she'll be like, Christy, I just don't know how you're doing it. I don't know how you're traveling so much. And I'm using my mom voice now. And I'm like, but mom, like, 
but I get to leave it three and go pick up my kids. I get to work from home when I want to because I want to go to a performance. And that might mean that I, because of what we do here, right? You guys are our clients. So I work when you aren't working, right? So I might have a call at eight or a call early in the morning, but I have that flexibility. As dental owners, you guys have the choice of when you're open and how many hours. And what you do is very physical. So you work four days a week. You have a three-day weekend. You can work, you know, like Brock said, his practice is open at seven. He closes at three every single day. You gave the example of the pediatric female owner who picked her kids up from school every day. She closed her office at three, which is the most, you know, critical time for a pediatric practice to be open is when me, the mom who wants to take my kids to the dentist and not pull them out of school. So practice ownership or ownership in general is going to give you that flexibility. It comes with the bad stuff, right? Bad quote, quote, but it's the flexibility to allow us to do those things. And I think that whether you're a woman or a man listening to this and you want some flexibility for kids or family or travel, like whatever it is, like this gives you that flexibility. I mean, if you're a woman, obviously the vast majority of the dental team, they're all women. So, I mean, get them on the same page. Be a leader mm-hmm. and say, team, every guy down the street, they open at 8 and they close at 5. I'm a mom. I'm pretty sure the rest of you are moms. What if we came up with hours that really made sense to us? Wait, what? Yeah, what if we did 7 to 3 and then we can all get home to our kids and family? Yes! Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's figure this out. Now those are goals that maybe are different than financial goals. What if it was a, you only want to work three days a week? Well, then you need to figure out uh, as a three-day week owner that you have a high overhead with rent. So what would you do? Well, maybe you partner with another person. I don't know, another woman, another man, don't care. And maybe you partner with them and they work three days a week or four days a week, whatever that may be. And this now allows us to take advantage. So just don't put this whole work-life balance thing, work less or How am I going to take care of kids and this is going to be this big obstacle and corporate is the only option? It's just not true. Let's create what you want. If you want to be a business owner, then let's create the hours. Let's create the dentistry. I don't know. Let's go take a bunch of CE courses so you can be a really badass dentist and get done at 3 o'clock. Let's put some big production numbers and be able to be very, very efficient during the times that you were there and get out. I mean, I literally, if you told me that that was your practice and that was your story, I mean, it's like, let's get them on the podcast. Let's get them on stage. Let's, can I hug you? I mean, <laughs> you have conquered it. You have did it. You know, like, I, I love to hear stories yeah. like that. And in that example, right, when staffing right now, if you are an owner listening, staffing is incredibly challenging. And at the Cane Waters Annual meeting, there was a breakout session. And one of the owners said, you know, one of the things that and reasons why we have such a loyal staff is I have a bunch of moms and individuals on my team who want flexibility and I can allow them to have that because I think that that creates a more efficient team and a team that is willing to be more loyal to me, a team that is willing to help drive towards these goals. Um, And they had those same ones, right? So again, aligning what we want, missions, values of what I'm going to create to make it work for me and in turn help take care of my people who in turn take care of my patients who in turn drive profit. Like it's not always easy. And I know that is so much easier said than done, but I do think that sometimes we miss that kind of objective. So I'll get off my soapbox on that. But just come on women. You can do this. Ladies, ladies, women, women, men, girls, boys. Can you work together? I just don't want to have barriers. that says that you can't do it. Oh no. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah. I got this. If, if, if Brock can do it, leave it three and manage, I think, three baseball teams, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And then let's just say a very successful multi-multi-million dollar practice. 
and a specialist that says, hey, all my referring dentist, I get that you want me to be there at these times. I don't. Yeah. It's awesome. Absolutely just just amazing. So just, I don't want there to be barriers for people. So I'm going to end on one note. We asked this of our panelists and I'm interested in your answer. Okay. If you could go back and give your newly graduated self one piece of advice, what would it be? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what, it, what this is me now. Mm-hmm. I'm probably getting my act together a little faster after I was a little, I was a little slow starter in college. So I'm gonna get my act a little faster, but I enjoyed my youth. I like that. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't have quote unquote the regrets cause I had a really good time. It wasn't like a fraternity guy. I just worked in restaurants. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just enjoyed my early years if I look back from a business career standpoint, it probably wasn't the smartest. I probably gave up a couple of years to slow me down on my business track. But without those early years in the restaurant business, I wouldn't have my memories. I wouldn't be as fluent in you Spanish. Have the hustle? I wouldn't. Yeah, I was a hustler. Yeah, I certainly. And I wouldn't be as fluent in Spanish as I am today. <laughs> I think the lesson there too, though, which is kind of my lesson, which is I hear this and I hear this like frustration or this angst when I talk to buyers of thinking that every decision we're making in the moment is just going to be the last one. And it's just going to have this never ending effect on our world. And I think that your examples of saying, hey, I had fun and like, I'm still here. I'm still like where I need to be and I'm here and me you know, I made thought that I was going to work at one place and retire there yeah. and my world did not end up that way. But gosh, I'm glad it didn't, you know, and here we are. So I think it's just understanding that you're going to have to make a lot of big decisions where you go, who you associate with. Are you going to buy? Are you not going to buy? There's a lot of things that can kind of flesh out in life. Think about the corporate world that you were in and the fact that you were glued to your computer and to your phone until the market closed at 430 and, and you couldn't do any personal mm-hmm. stuff and the request forms that you Uh had to put in, you Uh know, to to get off. Shoot me. You know what I mean? Shoot me. You know what Uh I mean? Yeah. So just to think about all of those things and and what you had to overcome. And now look at you. Now look at me. Taylor Swift concerts, like on the floor. I saw your seats, girl. I saw your seats. Big time. (laughs) Christy Ratcliffe, big time. Are you ready for it? (laughs) Um, No, it's been fantastic. Again, kudos to the Henman team, to you, Charles, to our sponsors, to all of the attendees for these questions. We are geared up and already planning for next year. Thank you for listening to Transition Talk. We appreciate you listening. And of course, if you know of anyone who hasn't heard of us, just share the love and subscribe wherever you listen to Transition Talk. Until next time, folks. That was super fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.